we have been in this series for what feels like forever. Um, we're almost done, though. Uh, we have been talking about the last three weeks, Paul and how um, he kind of stripped away the wise teacher and brought himself down to the level of what he called a fool. Um, He's kind of been making a fool of himself and saying, boasting about his achievements. But then what's interesting about Paul's boast is that he brings him back to God. He he says, look at all the great things I've done, but... But then he goes, oh, but I mean, really, I didn't do them. I did them through God. God did them. Also, I don't do all these things for me. I do them for you. And, and last week, he continued that. But this week, this week, Paul's tone changes. Right? Paul has been trying to defend himself because the Corinthians have uh, kind of taken refuge with these false teachers. And Paul wants to, to show them, hey, these, these guys don't have your best interest at heart. And I love you. Right? I, I have been there for you. I've, I've taken nothing from you. So Paul's kind of, and then he will actually declare as we start this, that he's dropping this whole fool's thing, and, and he's really going to talk to them as, as he, uh, from his heart. So verse 11, in chapter 12, verse 11, uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 11, he says this. I've made a fool of myself, but you drove me to it. I ought to have been commended by you, for I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles, even though I am nothing. I persevered in demonstrating among you the marks of a true apostle, including signs, wonders, and miracles. How were you inferior to other churches except that I I was never a burden to you? Forgive me this wrong. So again, he ends there with kind of him taking a shot at them. So here Paul is ending his foolish talk. He says, I'm done. I'm done being a fool. You drove me to it, but I'm done. But he defends himself. He's got to stake his claim. Here he's saying that he is is, uh, not inferior, as the Corinthians are suggesting, but it's not by his own actions, like I said, that make him uninferior. Verse 12 again says, I persevered in demonstrating among you the marks of a true apostle, including signs, wonders, and miracles. Note that these are not the things that man does. These are the things that God does. And what's interesting about these things is that it's not like it's the first time we see someone who's not Jesus doing signs and wonders. Um, And then he puts it on them. But if we look at one of, uh, probably my favorite biblical character, Moses, that was exactly what God did to show Pharaoh who he was. So check, check out this clip. If you have not seen that movie, I strongly encourage it. It's called The Prince of Egypt. It's a fantastic movie. Um, it's the story of Moses. It's, it's, a, it's a great telling of the story of Moses. They really don't take that much liberty with it, which is impressive. Um, 
But that shows God uses ordinary people in incredible ways to make a lasting impact. And this is what Paul has done in Corinth. This is something we know Paul has done in Corinth, right? Paul has planted this church. He spent over a year with these people. They've continued to follow their faith, but of all, the only thing that's happened to them, the only thing really that is a problem in their church, is that they're being led astray. Paul was an ordinary man, but Paul was radically changed. And because Paul was radically changed, he had the ability to radically change people's lives. I don't know about you, but when someone, when I perceive that someone stabs me in the back or betrays me or, or you know, goes behind my back, I'm hurt. I'm really hurt. And in fact, I don't want to show you that I care about you. I want to be mad. And I want to tell you how mad I am. So that's, that's where I come from. And I think Paul should be mad. But instead... He professes his love. This is where this letter turns because no longer is he being a fool. No longer is he instructing them. No longer is he berating them. It's now a love letter. It may be the end of this letter, but now it's a love letter. And he starts his love letter with the whole reason that the Corinthians left him in the first place. In verse 14, he says, Now I'm ready to visit you for a third time. And I will not be a burden to you, because what I want is not your possessions, but you. After all, children should not have to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. So I will very gladly spend for you everything I have, and expend myself as well. I love you more, and will you love me less? Be that as it may, I have not been a burden to you. Yet, crafty fellow that I am, I caught you by trickery. Paul's coming back. Which, I'm sure when the, when the Corinthians read this letter multiple times, this is the part that stuck out to them. Because if you remember, months ago, we talked about the whole reason the Corinthians were mad at him was because he had promised he was going to come, and then he heard that there was too much going on in Corinth, that they were disobeying him, and he was sad. And out of his sorrow, he chose not to go. So now, after all that he has said, right, all the 11 chapters leading to this, Paul says, hey, I'm coming back. I'm coming back because I love you. And I don't want anything from you. I don't want your things. I just want you. Which is incredible because this is, a, this, again, this, this situation is Paul didn't show up. Which is a small thing, right? It's not a huge deal, at least from our perspective, that Paul didn't show up. He's still communicating with them. It's not like he dropped the ball. It's not like he abandoned them completely. He just didn't show up. It's as if you told your mom you were going to go visit her and then you didn't go. And your mom would be upset because she was expecting you, but it's not the end of the world. But these people took it as such. And then, out of their anger, someone came in and stole their affection, stole their attention. It's important to note, too, how Paul refers to himself. Or rather, use the analogy that Paul used to refer to himself and the Corinthians, the parent-child relationship. Because this is how Paul sees it. Clearly, it's a spiritual father, but still, this, the guidance, the love, the tenderness, the desire to see them grow. It's important to notice that he's using this analogy, and that's the kind of love that he is looking for. Um, his call uh, for them is to spend nothing, and that he will provide, provide everything. He wants to show them that, hey, I care so much for you that don't do anything. I'm coming to you and I got it. 
I got it. What I find most interesting about this is that he says, I love, if I love you more, will you love me less? Be that as it may. He basically is saying, I don't care. If I love you more and you decide to love me less, I'm not, I'm not concerned. That's not going to change the amount of love that I have for you. This is a really, uh, a really incredible moment. Because this paternal love and, and this, 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 this sign is Paul's goal. Paul's goal is not to berate them and to make them feel bad about the mistakes that they've made. Paul's goal is to love them and for them to know Jesus and for them to serve like Jesus. Ultimately, this story is, is much in the same vein as the prodigal son. If you look at the story of the prodigal son, the son leaves, right? And effectively, the son leaves in such a way that he tells his father and his family, you're dead to me. You're dead to me. And then he leaves, and he parties it up, and he loses it all, and he comes back. And he is, the, the, beauty, the beauty of that story is, and maybe we'll talk about it in the future, but the beauty of that story is he crafts this plan, right? All right, I'm going to go back to my dad. I'm going to say, hey, I'm sorry. Um, I want to work for you. And then he'll definitely let me in. And what, what, what we miss, or what I've noticed that a lot of times people miss in that story is, he, we see him prepare it, he gets to his father's house, his father runs to greet him, and he does not have the opportunity to share his plan with his father. Because before he can say anything, his dad puts new shoes on him, puts a robe on him, and instructs somebody to kill the fattest calf. His father is not concerned with his plan. His father is only concerned with the love that he has for his son. And in fact, a son who said, you're dead to me, received more when he returned. Because it's it's not about, it's not about the fact that you love less. It's about that he loves you more than you can imagine. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about God. It can be super easy to make relationships about us, right? It can be very easy. They wronged me. How I was betrayed. How I was left high and dry. But my question is, what about God? How does God feel about that? Better question, what does he want me to do? Sure, I I was betrayed. Backstabbed. Left. Right? Abandoned. I'm going to write that person off. But is that what God wants me to do? Do you think God is more concerned with the small pain that we feel right now or the ultimate relationship that you share with that person? Ecclesiastes 4, uh, 9-10 says this. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls, one can help the other up. But pity, one, pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. I think, that's, I think that's incredible. It's a very simple statement. Two are better than one. Someone falls, the other can pick them up, vice versa, right? Cyclical. I like it. It's easy. I like simple things. I'm not a very smart person, so it makes it great for me. I don't need to see hands. I don't, I don't want to. Um, But many of us have let go of relationships. And I just want you to think about it. How many of you, and again, please don't raise your hand, 
How many of you have let go of a relationship for something very small? A disagreement, an argument, an opinion, a missed call? I know I have. And my question is, how could God have used you or me in that person's life? Paul loved these people and believed so heavily in God's mission that it wasn't about his ego. It wasn't about his reputation. It was about what God was doing and how God was going to use Paul. And we see in verse 17, he says this. Did I exploit you through any of the men I sent you? I urged Titus to go to you. I sent a brother with him. Titus did not exploit you, did he? Did he not walk in the same footsteps by the same spirit? This is an interesting verse because there's really no context here. But, but what's happening is when Paul was in Corinth, um, these false teachers had accused Paul of, which is, seems really strange, they had accused Paul of secretly wanting everything from the Corinthians. That he was kind of, they weren't taking anything from them yet. They were going to build this trust and then take from them. And so he's saying, hey, I just sent two people to you, two people that you know, and they were there for a while. Did, did they take advantage of you? Did they exploit you at all? Didn't he walk in the same footsteps, in the same spirit? I think relationships are all about service. I think that's what relationships are all about. I think if, they're, if you're not doing a relationship like that, you're doing it wrong. How can I help you? How can I serve you? And that ultimately is the goal of the church. I mean, our goal as Uncommon Church is to remove obstacles that prevent people from coming to church and knowing God and build bridges to introduce people to God. We want to find a way that we can take those obstacles down without compromising our values and then build a bridge to get people to know God. It's simple. It doesn't mean it's easy. But what happens when personally we erect obstacles of our own? How does that hinder our relationship with people and with God? And how, and this is the, 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 clinch, the, the clinchpin, how does that hinder uh, our, God's work in our lives? When we put up those barricades and say, look, God, I will do all of this, um, but this is where I draw the line. How does that hinder God's work in our lives? Better question is, better question is, how can you get rid of them? Um, everybody's got a stubborn relative, right? Yes? If they're here, please don't look at them. Have you ever thought, um, or has, has their stubbornness ever prevented you from doing something? Something new. Maybe it was a vacation, or, or maybe it was a, a, a new adventure, or exploring some place you've never been to before. Yes? No? Yeah, Donovan definitely has. When I was about seven or eight, uh, we rented an RV, and we went, my, my parents, my brother and I, we, we rented an RV, and we went around basically the western half of the country. It was pretty cool. We were gone for like three and a half weeks. It was a lot of fun. I have some really cool memories from that trip. It was, it was neat. We went to uh, Yellowstone and um, saw Buffalo Rome, and it was really cool. It was a very cool trip. But I have one memory that sticks out, um, and it was in the beginning of the trip. 
We were driving, we're still in California, we're driving up north, and we get to a sign. And this sign says San Francisco. And I'm seven, eight years old. I've never been to San Francisco before. So my mom, my brother and I are all like, let's stop, let's stop in San Francisco. Let's walk around, let's check it out. And my dad says, and I quote, we'll stop when we get to the other side of the bridge. And the whole time we're like, come on, like, we're here, let's stop. It's not like we got anywhere to be, let's just stop. Nope. So I watched the city pass by through the windows of these RV. This RV, we crossed the Golden Gate Bridge, got to the other side of the Golden Gate Bridge, and as promised, we stopped at a little telescope, put a quarter in, and I saw the city from the other side of the bridge. I was 23 when I went back. The funny part of that story is my dad is the only one who remembers it differently. Everybody else knows that he said, no, we'll stop when we get to the other side of the bridge. That simple act of stubbornness prevented us from seeing a city on foot, up close. It was a missed opportunity. But that, that's the question. What are you missing out on because you're being stubborn? At what point are you putting your foot down and just going, no, I'm not moving? And typically, in my experience, stubbornness is just because of the simple fact that I don't want to. There's usually no good reason why we're being stubborn. It's just, that's not what I want to do. But, if you remember back, I don't know, 10 minutes ago, it's not about you. What relationships, serving opportunities, or adventures are we missing out on because God is calling us to stop, but we are waiting to cross that bridge? For the Corinthians, their obstacles was this, these false teachers, these, these people who were leading them astray, who were taking from them, and their willingness to abandon Paul, which is what they did. Their obstacles, they show them that how much they were loved and, and how much God loved them. I mean, through these obstacles, Paul said, look, I, I get it. I get it. I didn't show up. But I'm coming back. And I'm going to show you, regardless of how you feel about me, how much I love you. Verse 19 says this. Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? We have been speaking in the sight of God as those in Christ. And everything we do, dear friends, is for your strengthening. Paul wasn't concerned with his own reputation. He was concerned with theirs. He was concerned that they were not getting enough. That they weren't following what God was calling them to because of their stubbornness. I asked a lot of questions tonight. I I, I know normally we have like a takeaway, like kind of pick up your sword and go do this. I don't really have that tonight. I don't don't have something for you to actively do. More so, I I want you to think. And Ben, you you can come up. I have three questions I want you to think about. First question, what are you missing out on because you're being stubborn? What is something that God is calling you to that you're missing out on because you just planted your foot and said, no, I won't. I don't want to. What opportunities have you seen in your day-to-day life? And and this doesn't have to be like a regular thing, right? This doesn't have to be like some big, huge thing. This could be a conversation that you missed out on. This could be a, a left when you turned right. It doesn't have to be huge. 
God works in mysterious ways doesn't necessarily mean it's a massive way. Second question. What relationships have you sacrificed for something small? That's a hard one. I know as I was writing this, that hit me in the pit of my stomach. We've said this before and I'll, I'll say it again. We write these, these messages um, and they teach us just as much as they teach you guys. Um, I may have wrote that, but it's not like I planned it. But it really made me think. And I don't expect you, I mean, if you have someone in the right, that comes to mind right away, that's great. But for me, it, I mean, I sat and stewed on it. Because I want to know, what relationships have I let go of? What opportunities have I let go of because of something small? Right? This person was annoying. That took too much time. It was inconvenient. Something small. And the third question. How can God work in both of those instances? How can God work through your stubbornness? And how can God work through your relationships? That's a hard question to answer. Remember, it's not about us. It's about Jesus, our Savior, the one we serve. We follow him and we cannot let pettiness get in our way. Ego get in our way. Perceived reputation get in our way of what he has for us and his people. This is a church building, but you are the church. When you talk to somebody about God, that is church. When you introduce someone and say, look, I, I'm, a, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus, and this is, this is what I believe. I believe that he loves you, and he wants you to love him. That's church. I had a conversation with a friend of mine last night, and I said, I don't understand why people are so against Christians. Because if you break it down to its core beliefs, it is there is a God who created everything. He loves you. He loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you. And he just wants you to love him in return. And through that love, love other people. I don't understand why that's a problem. So, this week, ask yourself these questions. I, w- I would challenge you to journal these questions. Write them out. And pray about it. What are you missing out on because you're being stubborn? What relationships have you sacrificed because of something small? And how can God work in both of those instances? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much um, for your will. It's something we don't always understand and don't necessarily need to. God, thank you so much that uh, we can be used by you, that even through our stubbornness, you can pull us out of that, and you have incredible plans for us. Thank you that you are a God who loves, even in the times that we don't really want to love you back. God, I ask that you would be with us this week, that as we, we, we seek to answer these questions, that Holy Spirit, you'd be present, open up our hearts and our minds to receive you and your word.